The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back, and we're on episode 61 now of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Lee Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm trying to be a little bit more sober than I was for our 2001 discussion, because I've discovered I can be tired while we record, or I can be drunk while we record, but both, it doesn't work well for me. Let's just put it that way. I can, <laughs> I can tell in my voice when I'm, uh, and in the amount that I talk. I definitely talk way too much and don't say anything. So I apologize <laughs> to everyone who listens to me when I'm in that state. Uh, well, to be fair, I don't think I saw anyone criticize anything you had to say. So uh, we They're do. We do scared of me. Maybe uh, the beard is intimidating. So uh, we are going to be doing a movie a little later on here that was suggested by our friend Jack Graham, and it is uh, Stridulum, also known as The Visitor from 1979. That should be fun, but we do have a few comments here to uh, get through, so we're going to look into those really quick. We're going to save our what we've been watching and stuff like that for uh, a little intermission episode we're going to be recording after this, because Daniel has to go away next week. Let's do a little mini episode to fill in, keep you uh, fiends satiated for another keep week. Keep the horde satisfied until we can mm-hmm. actually get to uh, another full episode. Um, because I know people are disappointed if we don't put out at least one episode a week. Yeah, at least one three-hour episode a week. There's <laughs> people I mean, just don't know how to act anymore. Yeah, our last episode for 2001: Space Odyssey was just about as long as the movie is itself. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, we we do have some comments uh, pertaining to 2001, of course. One comment here from Stuart Balk, and and this is sort of the. Uh, the theme of the the comments for the most part for 2001. And uh, I think we addressed this during the actual talk about 2001, how it is kind of slow and boring, but my friend Stuart Balk from midnight movie cowboy said uh, to him, 2001 is as boring as fuck. Uh, I've grown to seriously dislike it over the years. 2010 is a lot more mainstream has some cool stuff in it, but overall meh. And I can, uh, I can understand that criticism. I mean, I, I agree. 2010 is much, much more mainstream. Mm-hmm. I.e. worse. I, I mean, you know, like, I mean, it really is just like, yes, I agree. We described the same film. You know, I, I do think that 2001, yeah, you do have to kind of be in that mindset to watch it. It's not something I'm going to sit down and go, oh, yeah, it's Saturday afternoon. I've got some buddies coming over. Let's throw on, you know, a meditation on the existence of humanity. Yeah. No, <laughs> like that's not, you know, it has to, it's a very particular kind of movie. I mean, it's not something that you're necessarily going to, just throw on every you know every couple of weeks or every few months or whatever. I mean, it's something that's it's a, I mean, it is a meditation, and so it is meant to be approached that way. So you know, it's also one that I I would really love to see on the big screen. I think the big screen would really make that film sing in a way that it doesn't necessarily, especially if you've only seen it on uh, you know like an old VHS copy, which is yeah. the only way I'd ever seen it until. Uh, last week. So, I mean, I, I take the criticism of the film and I don't like it. I mean, it's not even something you can argue. Like, he thinks it's boring. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I get it. Not much happens in 2001. It's not about what happens. It's about all the other stuff. And I think yeah. we kind of covered that last week. But, I mean, I, I do appreciate that perspective. I just disagree with it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll say this. I mean, it's not a movie I'm going to watch every not even every week or a month or something like that. It, like you said, something you seriously have to put yourself in the frame of mind to sit down and actually watch. Like you're, you've actually dedicated here. Here's a two and a half hour block of my time that I'm going to sit down and watch this and enjoy it. That's the way it is for me. Like I said, I used to wa- see bits and pieces of it as a kid. And then when I finally first watched it all the way through since then, it's only been maybe half a dozen times that I've ever watched it right. since then. So, you know, it's not, it's not something I can go back to, every day like uh 
I, c- I could watch like the Big Lebowski every fucking day or uh, something like that, you know. But uh, I can't do it for two thousand one. It's also the kind of film that I think doesn't. Like, I mean, and this goes back to the theatrical thing. I, I think it, it isn't a film that uh, rewards the like two screen experience. Like you know, oh, I'm like playing on my phone and I'm trying to watch two thousand one. And it, you know, it, it kind of rewards you for sitting down and really just watching it. You know, and really observe. Mm-hmm every shot and the way it's composed. I mean, it, it is kind of, it is a tone poem. And if you're kind of distracted, oh, I'm eating dinner or I'm having some whiskey or I'm, you know, whatever, it's it's not necessarily, you know, like the way that film is meant to be watched. And again, it is what it is. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> you know. Yeah. He did make a, a good suggestion though for our uh, Spaghetti Western series. He wants to see us do Sabata, which was, um, I think it was a three-film series. There was two films with Lee Van Cleef sort of playing a bit off his character in For a Few Dollars More, the Colonel Mortimer character. Mm-hmm. Uh, although more of a super spy version of that to some degree. And then there was the, the middle film in the series was actually um, played by Yul Brenner, played the title character of all people. So, um <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, I, t- I tell you, uh, I think it was one of those. And then, things and then he went on to do Westworld. Like that was the. <laughs> I, I can't remember which came first, Westworld or this. Brenner was doing a bunch of different westerns and stuff at that point. I think yeah. this was before Westworld. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, Westworld was what seventy something. Yeah, mid seventy something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Savannah's one. I'm thinking we'll add on there, Stuart, because uh, it's been a long time since I've seen the first one. So. We, we might we might stick that on. Yeah, I've never seen them. I don't know them at all. So totally. I mean, I you know you pick titles, I'll watch them. No question. I'm a, I'm a big spaghetti western person, but I just haven't watched a lot of them. So I'm definitely kind of I'm down. Let's go. I'm ready. Can we do it? Let's do it right now. <laughs> Fuck Stradulum. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Friend Mike Murphy from the Badass uh, Boobs and Body Counts podcast said, uh, "Good episode, guys." He personally could never make it through 2001 himself. Too boring for him, so he never bothered with, and he never bothered with the sequel. He said about the van. That's all Mark's doing apparently. We we also have Malibu High, Van Nuys Boulevard, the Pom Pom Girls, and a bunch of other shit in which Mark wants to relive his past through. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that the genesis of our sex comedy series. Was I was like, hey, let's watch a bunch of the '80s comedies I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Although uh, Malibu High is a very different movie. That doesn't even write as a sex comedy. That, that's that's one of those uh, films that they tried to stick it into the series, but basically they just lied to the uh, general public moviegoers uh, about what it was. I don't know that one, so I'll have to uh, I'll have to watch it sometime. It you don't. Shot. You really don't have to. Um, <laughs> he said regarding your spaghetti western run. Please do Django. Well, uh, like we said in the last episode, we definitely will be doing a big Django episode, so uh, never fear there. He said, think about doing four of the Apocalypse. I'm, I was actually considering that one. That's uh, Lucia Fulci-directed Spaghetti Western, which does have some Fulci-esque elements in it, of course. And also think about doing They Call Me Trinity. Um, he said the sequel to Django came out in 1987, and it's called Django Strikes Again. Yep with Franco Nero. Coincidentally, this is sort of odd. I interviewed Rodrigo Obergon yesterday for an upcoming episode of BBNBC, and we talked mostly about Andy Sedaris. I spoke to the guy for over an hour. He's in Django Strikes Again. Again, sort of odd that it came back around to this. Yeah, we, we sort of tread in the same waters there, uh, Mike. There, there's always going to be some uh, similarity, I think, between a lot of the stuff we do. Well, we kind of all listen to each other and stuff, and so ultimately, yeah, there's there's some carryover and some, you know, oh, yeah, we're all... You know, gee, we're all interested in the same sorts of things, and therefore, you know, some actors cross over like it's a thing. No, yeah. but it's really nice. I always, always like listening to interviews with actors who have just been in a bunch of stuff, who are just mm-hmm. kind of jobbing actors for for years, and just kind of, you know, oh yeah, I worked with so and so. You know, you know, I worked with Bergman in nineteen seventy two. I was a spear carrier. You know. Yeah, and yeah, BB uh, and BC they. Every once in a while, they do have interviews on there, and they do a really good job with them, too. So I'll be looking forward to uh, to, to uh, hearing that episode. On our YouTube version of our video, we finally got a comment again after quite a cold spell. and But it was just Riz2336 saying, I don't really like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Thought it was kind of boring. And then he put a question mark. 
afterwards. So I'm not sure if he was sure if it was boring or he was asking me if it was boring or uh, I don't know. But thanks anyway for the comment. Uh, <laughs> it definitely needed more laser blasts. You know, it really needed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know <laughs> it needed at least one uh, one shot of a scantily clad Barbarella type. Uh, yeah. Around. Yeah. If if Bowman and Poole had been scantily clad, scantily clad women, he probably would have watched it. Yes, I mean, uh, seeing uh, '60s uh, breast implants and zero gravity. Yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. The opening sequence of Barbarella, but shot by Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, artful and tasteless. It'd be awesome. Jason Dennison says, "How about any gun can play or death rides a horse for the Spaghetti Western series?" Um, I'm not familiar if any gun can play, but Death Rides a Horse would be an interesting one to look at just because that's one of those ones that's never really had a proper video release, at least not over here, as far as I can tell. It's always just shitty DVD copies. And so it's kind of gained a reputation as this like unheralded masterpiece that people just haven't seen the cleaned up version of it to really give it its due. So I think there's some decent prints of it, though, on YouTube now. So I, I do have, I do own it, but they're terrible fucking prints well really really what we say is like uh, provide us with a decent print and we'll watch it yeah that, that's the you know like send us movies answer. send us yeah. movies you, you know you, you got some old criterion kicking around that you don't want just fucking send it yeah. to us why not S- send us a movie we'll put it on our list to possibly review like yeah. come on like that's a, isn't that why we do podcasts is it why we like we're journalists we get free shit for that isn't mm-hmm. that just the way this works I, I mean, aside from the, like, tens of thousands of dollars we're making on the podcast every week, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the only reason Daniel's even here is because he makes 10000 a an episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ba- it's like a penny a word that I speak and that I make. <laughs> <laughs> that would, I think that would, uh, that would be pretty close, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Lee makes it for four cents, you know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> goes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, you know. yeah. What do you think of this, Daniel? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the episode's over, guys. <laughs> uh, Jack Graham says, "I think you got 2010 down. It's an exceptionally entertaining 90 minutes of bog standard, well acted 80s uh, sci-fi cinema, especially if you grew up in the 1980s and 90s, and are a bit nostalgic for that style of movie, but not even in the same constellation as the original." And yeah, totally in agreement. I think we uh, spelled that out pretty well when we reviewed it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny when, like, Outland is actually the better film by Peter Hyams. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sean Connery vehicle from uh, 1981, or, you know, the sequel to one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, actually, the Sean Connery vehicle is the probably the better film overall, you know. Yeah, Sean Connery vehicle, Unless that was just a remake. big ideas, but, you know. Better film. Yeah, just a just a remake of High Noon. Anyway, I mean, yeah, no, it's totally that. I mean, I agree, but it, it does the High Noon formula pretty well. I mean, you got oh, yeah. to say it's it's actually a it's a good High Noon remake. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's at least as good as like the Magnificent Seven remaking Seven Samurai. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say it's pretty much on the same level. All right, well, thanks everyone for the comments. Of course, you can go to our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook, and that's the best way to leave comments. So if you join up there and you want to give us comments, the fabulous comments we just had, or if you want to give us really lame comments, you can do that as well. You can give Any suggestions. better comments. All those comments sucked because they disagreed <laughs> with me. Yeah. Well, Jack we Graham agreed with us. He, he did agree with us. Well, he always agrees with us. You know? uh, well, usually, usually. We'll say usually. Well, you, you, you pay him like $5,000 out of your weekly check. Yeah, this exactly. And then he then he puts positive comments on, you know. That's <laughs> yeah, he's like one of those guys who goes around IMDb and like votes up uh, movies and then puts like 18 yeah. positive reviews under the user reviews. He, he, he has a ton of sock puppets uh, voting up Meet the Deedles. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, kids. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me what you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? Deadly weapons.
and body counts. Body Count. The mathematics of murder and menace. The BB and BC podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of B-movies. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for BB and BC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Penny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hell Ming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hell Ming. Breaking 2? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. <laughs> Alright, I guess we can just jump right into our movie tonight. And it is Strigulum also known as The Visitor in the USA from Giulio Paradisi, written by Lucio Comici, who did the screenplay. Robert Mundy, who did the screenplay. Giulio Paradisi, story. And Ovidio G. Aso- oh my god, Asinitis, uh, also contributed to the story, apparently. And that doesn't sound like a name. That sounds like a really bad disease. I- <laughs> Maybe it's both. Who knows? Maybe it's pronounced differently. Maybe the uh, ass is silentless. And- 
Onetus. Even that kind of sounds like something bad. Yeah, anyway, uh, starring our friend uh, Mel uh, Ferrer. God damn, I never get his name right. I practiced it earlier and I fucked it up now. Uh, but we, we've already covered him in two movies in this podcast. World, the Flesh, and the Devil, and uh, Nightmare City as Dr. Walker. Glenn Ford as Detective Jake Durham. Lance Hendrickson in an earlier role as Raymond Armistead. John Huston, yes, famous director John Huston is in this as Jersey... Okay, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the that visitor. He's the visitor. He's the visitor. Uh, Joanne Nail is Barbara Collins. Sam Peckinpah, yeah, that's Sam Peckinpah, as Dr. Sam Collins. Shelley Winters as Jane Phillips. And Little Paige Connor as Katie Collins. And there's also a cameo by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as well in the opening, if you're interested. But yeah. uh, I'll pass it over to you there, Daniel, for the uh, synopsis. Well, I look forward to hearing you uh, put this one together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm increasingly just uh, throwing up my hands at these, so, you know. <laughs> There's an eternal spiritual war going on across the many ethereal planes of the multiverse. Paired in this eternal combat are a mysterious, malevolent force named Satine, unseen in this film, and Space Jesus himself, Fred Nero. This film portrays only the latest skirmish in this Manichean conflict, taking place in exotic Atlanta, Georgia, and with the primary antagonist being a young descendant of Salatine, Katie Collins, Paige Connor, who vacillates between being a reject from a Bad News Bear sequel and a Southern Belle knockoff of Damien from The Omen. It's that kind of movie. Young Katie's mother, Barbara Connor, Joanne Nail, not too long after an iconic performance in Switchblade Sisters, has left Katie's father, Sam, Sam fucking Peckinpah, in an attempt to climb the social ladder with a wealthy basketball team owner, Raymond, Lance Henriksen. He's pressuring her to marry him and give him a son, but she has continually demurred for Katie's entire life, it seems. Later, we learn that the slimy Raymond is being used by a consortium of suited wealthy men sitting at a table, one of whom is apparently portrayed by right-wing radio host douchebag Neil Bortz, in an attempt to gain absolute power from the offspring produced by Raymond and Barbara's hypothetical mating. End of the situation comes an unearthly visitor, John fucking Houston, who approaches the family as a babysitter and whom Katie immediately recognizes as not of this earth. The two play a game of Pong, topical, I suppose, in 1979, and the visitor attempts to convince Katie to leave Earth with him. She's not convinced, however, and begins to pressure her mother to give Raymond a son in earnest, similarly drunk on the sense of her own growing telekinetic powers, which we see alternately able to explode a basketball and fling two young ice skaters through plate glass. Also in this film... An accidental shooting that cripples Barbara, a police detective, Glenn fucking Ford, who is killed by birds, and an astrology-loving housekeeper who senses the evil inherent to Katie, a couple of pedophilia references, a cult of bald men engaging in strange rituals on the rooftop, a gratuitous neon Coca-Cola sign, a forced surgical pregnancy followed by an abortion, and did I mention Space Jesus with Frank <laughs> Nero as himself? What else could you possibly need to know? Yeah, this, uh, I gotta say, this movie might be kind of the the epitome of Italian filmmaking at the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, Let's throw in a bunch of random references to other films. It's a little bit Close Encounters. It's, a, it's all stuff, like, the film's from 1979. So it's all stuff from, like, 1975 to 1978, right? So <laughs> a little bit of The Omen, a little bit of, you know, Switchblade Sisters, you know, taking actors from the Switchblade Sisters. We're going to do some Close Encounters. We're going to do uh, some Bad News Bears. We're going to throw in a bunch of stuff, put it in a blender, and then do it in a bad Italian dubbing. And we're going to call it Stridulum. Because it's, it's part horror. It's part sci-fi. It's, it's got elements of, like, the Fury and Carrie in it with the telekinesis stuff. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, the birds... Like, there's just birds all through this fucking film? <laughs> I, I very nearly had a line. That I, I, was, I was trying to figure out how I was going to open the thing, and I very nearly wrote a line that was something like, you know, Stridulum is the film that proves that when you don't have the budget for real special effects, but you do have money for a bird handler... You can still make a decent film. <laughs> Basically, like half the budget went to like an animal trainer to train birds to attack on command. There's some really good bird action in this film. If you're looking for a good bird, this yeah. is not for you. Oh, there's some it good... outdoes the birds. Yeah, right? there, there, there's some great bird action, and then there's some spectacularly bad whenever, yeah, exactly. when, whenever they want to get a close-up of a bird and have it still yeah, on the camera. There's a, there's a bird, like, stabbing a guy in the neck. Like, yeah. and just, like, hovering by him, then Switchblade comes out, and then, like, stabbing the neck. <laughs> 
and that's in the film. And then there's also a bird like trying to open a, a handle to a door. So you know, like, so that's something that birds do in this film. Yeah, you know, magic, magical, uh, all-seeing, uh, you know, birds that are just controlled by people. Yeah, well, I love I mean, this film. I actually really enjoyed this film. I do too. It sounds it sounds like I'm shitting on it, but it's I I did I did really uh, have a good time with this. You can't help but like this film. I mean, it's just so fucking batshit crazy, but. It's just so earnestly batshit crazy yeah. that what I found was uh, like watching it. I'm like, there's not. I mean, there's not really a lot. I mean, it, it feels really straightforward to me, you know, because you say batshit, and it's just kind of like, and I, I summarized in a way where there's just shit happening all the mm-hmm. time. It kind of makes sense, like one scene leads to another, and you're kind of like following along. But then when you sit down and you start trying to summarize it, and you're like, holy shit. What like look at all the like? There's so much happening. It's the thing, it so, but it jumps. doesn't it doesn't necessarily add to anything. It's just kind of like there are whole sequences that just kind of in the like the detective sequence where there's this really cool like detective sequence with Glenn fucking Ford in this movie, mm-hmm. and then like he's and then he's dead, and that's yeah. over. You know, no, like oh oh oh, a bird's pecking out his eyeball, and now he's going yeah. off the embankment, and uh, his car turned over, even though it didn't. When you saw the shot of the car stopping when it rolled over the embankment. Okay, that's fine. It's, <laughs> it's over. Yep. Don't. Yep. <laughs> they don't assign another detective. It's just like, well, they get killed by birds, so clearly they were innocent. Like that's yeah. you know that's just the way that police work works. You know. <laughs> Although we we do get these sort of uh, kind of a common thread through a lot of Italian films, you do get the like close up shot of, shot shot of the bird uh, pecking his eyeball out while he's yeah. while he's in the car. <laughs> that felt a little foolish to me, you know. So. Yeah. This film, you're you're right. Like it, it does feel kind of batshit crazy. But I think the reason that is, of course, is because it does sort of jump around a lot. Like it, it just moves on from thing to thing really quickly. But if you do like stick with it, it does end up making somewhat sense in the end. Like enough that you can actually follow the story, right? Yeah, I, I just I enjoy how both serious and silly this fucking thing is. Like I enjoy how. John Huston here as the uh, sort of galactic warrior, I guess is what he's supposed to be. But no, it's just John Huston looking like it's, a less. It's, a, it's John Huston doing Obi Wan Kenobi. I yeah, mean, you know. I was about to say, yeah, basically doing a less interested Alec Guinness in in Star Wars. You know, like <laughs> he's just. He's just sort of like sleep, almost sleepwalking through this kind of. He's just. I'm John fucking Houston. I can do this in my sleep, and I'm gonna. I mean, he's he's probably the best thing in the film, really. You know? Did he just do this to earn money to help help uh, Orson Welles finish that film with him in it? Uh, the maybe the other well, side of the wind. The other side of the wind, because it's just weird seeing the the cast they have for this man. It's like, okay, well, Mel Ferrer, I understand that because he was acting in Italian stuff at the time. So, I mean, you know, stick him in there. He's a a good presence. Glenn Ford, you know, kind of... He wasn't even really at the end of his career at this point. He was just... Because I think he died in, like, 2006 or something like that. It kind of feels like maybe, like, because Glenn Ford's in it, but he's only in this, like, one little section, and he's only on, like, a couple of sets, it kind of feels like, yeah, we had Glenn Ford for three days. Mm -hmm. Like, like, and we just kind of put a little subplot in for him. I mean... It does kind of feel assembled from other parts of like like I I don't it's not like one of those like cheesy like shitty Corman ripoff films where it's like mm-hmm. literally like four films that they just cut together into one yeah pretended it was one film but it does kind of feel like oh yeah we had we have Glenn Ford for a couple of days oh make him a detective yeah and then like you know the little girl she's just gonna pick up a gun and like <laughs> I mean where does that plot go like mm. like suddenly there there's a there's a the gun ends up in the box, and how does the gun end up in the box? Like nobody can like like, and then uh, you know, there's 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 this repeated motif where the little girl is doing gymnastics while the mother is doing physical therapy, which mm. is a really interesting like visual motif that kind of goes nowhere. You yeah, know? Like, there's a lot of stuff that kind of like shows up. It's interesting, and then it's dropped. You know? Yeah, so, and, uh, you know. but but that's that's the neat thing about this though. It's like. Because you would see this kind of thing in a lot of uh, Italian pictures where plot points just go nowhere and it's actually to the detriment of the film. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this one it doesn't hurt it. It's It's got a light enough touch. You mm-hmm. know, the, the kind of, you know, it, it approaches a, an idea. It kind of is, it gives you just enough to go, yeah, we've dealt with that, and then moves on. 
Um, one of my favorite elements of the film is actually the fact that like John Huston shows up. He's like, I'm the babysitter, and they just kind of accept it. Oh, okay, yeah. sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. Old man showing up to babysit our eight-year-old daughter. Yeah, I have no like. We're gonna joke later about how oh maybe he's a pedophile. Oh, I think you're a cripple file, right? You know. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Shanna made me rewind it. Like literally, she's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did we just see that? Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> she just she just did a cripple reference. <laughs> yeah, he just shows up, and then uh, the little girl like they like. There's no like sense of like oh they have to reveal themselves to each other as like fellow aliens or whatever. It's just like, she's like, Oh yeah, you're an alien. You got your thing going on. And he's like, then they're playing pong and just chatting. Like, I I really love like that, that aspect to it. Like it does not waste time with this stuff at all. You know? Yeah. Like there's this implied, like, I guess just underneath there's this, you know, I, I notice you like I, I I realize that there's some sort of connection there because Katie isn't so much an alien as she's like so this uh, evil presence this satine or whatever you know yeah. uh, very thinly Satan kind of reference right. space Jesus uh, Franco Nero tells us in the beginning that uh, he was destroyed but he passed his seed on to uh, like humans or whatever so it's it's basically his genetic code being uh, propagated by this by this evil Illuminati of old white men <laughs> around a boardroom. There's this, there's this sense. And, and this is kind of where like, I don't blame the film for this for, because it's so not that kind of film, but it is kind of like, there's a really interesting idea that like these uh, kind of wealthy industrialist capitalist assholes are basically like they they even say like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we need that absolute power. Like they're literally like, that's, that's the goal. Like it's yeah. very blatant that like, we just want this power, uh, which is great. You know, I, I don't get the sense that these guys have any particular like power over anything. They're just people who are like seeking this, this power. And so they're, they're just kind of working with this. They just kind of have recognized that this thing exists and are just trying to manipulate the world into kind of giving them what they want. I really like that aspect to it. They've even got the uh, the, the the one black guy who's like oh. the, the the butler, the uh, the servant. Okay, you know, let's the... let's let's talk about every black character in this film for a second, okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, let's. I was wondering yeah. if we were going to get here. So yes, every one of them. Every one of them is a magic negro. Oh yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. So you got the 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 uh, the servant. Mm-hmm. Who I just I wanted to call him Putney Swope. I know that that isn't quite like <laughs> accurate because he's a servant and not actually on the board. But I kept wanting to call him Putney Swope. And then you got the two guys in the car who find the wheelchair and uh, you know basically you know come in to swoop in and save the day. And they have yep. I know it's supposed to be Atlanta, and I know I mean it actually is Atlanta. I mean it's very clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> you know even adjusting for the fact that it's 1979, it borders right on the edge of that like caricature you know mm-hmm. that stroll kind of character oh it's almost song of the south level right there it's, like. it's almost i mean they're, they're they're almost saying like massa massa yeah. like it's it's not quite to that degree you need to be fooling with these crazy white people god damn uh it's almost as bad as eddie murphy in life mm-hmm. and uh, of course kareem abdul jabbar at the beginning there he senses the evil presence in Katie, and the whole idea here is that John Houston is trying to extract the evil presence from her and make her good again. Apparently, is kind of the thing. Although he, you know, he he, he goes about it in a very roundabout way. You know, he's he's basically letting Katie uh, abuse her mother like throughout the entire film. Like right. a good example of where plot points just sort of drop all of a sudden is like. In one scene, you'll see her pushing her mother through a fucking fish tank, and then the next scene is like, yeah, she survived. Whatever. I I legitimately after that scene because like she pushes she pushes her mom through a fish tank, and then like she's like cackling afterwards. Yeah. And then it cuts to like Katie being like being like in therapy, mm-hmm. and like the mother is like fine except for she's in the wheelchair, and I was literally on this level like, are we supposed to think everything like between here was a dream? 
like that this is like this is some like all some psychosis that this little girl's having because it's so out of left field that yeah the, no I, you know, I just think it was I just think it was written that way I just think yeah you know you can put people through a plate glass and it doesn't like they just kind of get up from that afterwards you know hey these these are Italians writing American characters this is what Americans do you know it's well, like what Americans you know, do. They just throw each other through plate glass. You know, we've seen westerns. You know, yeah, their 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 children are uppity. You know, their children are always going around calling old men child molesters and yeah. <laughs> and say showing up your ass. You know, it's a very yeah. like I was, you know, I was kind of on on board with the little girl at that point. I'm kind of like, yeah, fuck off, cop. Like, I'm not answering your questions. Well, well yeah. In a modern context, I mean that really does work, doesn't it? It's like yeah, he, he this is some old white guy. Comes up to me in a car who I've never met before, and he's right, like, yeah. "I want to talk to you, Katie." And it's like, "Get the I mean, fuck away from me!" He literally like catches her at the bus stop, you yeah. know. And it's like, "Yeah, I wanted to get there where your mom wasn't around." And it's like, "What a year, child molester!" He calls, she calls him a child molester like five times, <laughs> and then tells her to go fuck yourself. And you know, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm totally down with this yeah. girl." You know, fuck the police, man, do it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, no, she it turns out she's evil. She's unremittingly evil. Until she goes to the, until some birds peck at her, and then she goes to the other dimension, and then she's fine again. I mean, this does kind of draw very much from that, like, late 70s, like, kind of um, astrology, crystal power, you know, kind of flower child uh, convergence with, like, sci-fi. It's very much on that kind of, like, Omni magazine, and, you know, like, 10 years out from Chariots of the Gods, and, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, 2001: A Space Odyssey was a film that was like in the back of the minds of the people making this. I mean, you know, and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, you know, just on that kind of serious level, there are some kind of interesting, kind of big picture ideas that were kind of going on in the background, and this definitely fits into this culture. Um, I kept thinking of Beyond the Black Rainbow when we mm-hmm. were, when I was watching this. I mean, you know, because that's a film that's hearkening back to the same general era of, of filmmaking. Um, and for better or for worse, you know, we can kind of talk about that. I think I would, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts about, you know, how this film actually of that era compares to Beyond the Black Rainbow. With Beyond the Black Rainbow, of course, part of it is kind of a commentary on this sort of film back then as well. I mean, it's it's got that meta quality to it that this doesn't. This is just purely bold-faced, honest filmmaking and they're just really, you know, yeah, we're ripping this off, we're ripping that off. We're we're not there's no I don't think there's necessarily all that much deeper meaning to a lot of the stuff you see in this film. I think a lot of it's just, you know, it's just cobbled together and they're not really thinking about it too much. I mean, when you think about that story with Franco Nero at the beginning and then the bookend at the end, it just feels like they got, again, you know, they got Franco Nero in for a day and they just had him do these scenes with John Houston just to try to give some sort of story to the, like some sort of overall meaning. <laughs> it's basically like, yeah, put a, put a Jesus wig on him and have him, you know, like hang out with a bunch of bald kids. And, you know, uh, that, like, that's, that's as far as we go. You know, they're all like Avatar, the Last Airbender, or some bullshit, right? right? <laughs> and then Katie shows up at the end, and like, oh, all the bad stuff has been taken out of her, or something. I mean, I'm sure you could probably kind of pull out some themes here. There's some there there are some visual motifs. There's some stuff with like light and shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the when the aliens uh, come, when they you know to kind of take John Houston and, and Katie away there's this kind of thing going on where it's a bunch of like kind of lights on the ground and then, you know, the kind of lights in the sky and they all merge as one and the, the, the different patterns there. Um, the cult members on the roof are playing games with shadow and they're kind of all like, it's almost, they're almost miming with yeah, you know, they're behind, those, and, they're behind those screens. Like, why are they even doing that? Like, <laughs> why do they even exist? They do nothing in the film. Like, like they're just there's a bunch one of sequence, you know, that's the, the film even rips off Lady from Shanghai. It literally rips off an Orson Welles film, you know, mm-hmm. like from like 50 years earlier or 40 years earlier. They're just like space Buddhists in tracksuits standing around and they're not doing yeah, anything. And, and, that's, and that's the point. They're space yeah. Buddhists in, in tracksuits and that's why they're there. I, uh, I, I really thought we were going to get like this kind of like sequence at the end where there was going to be some battle, you know. And, yeah, really. Oh, and, then, and then the space Buddhists are going to like do something. Or... They're going to be like, um, 
enforcers or shock troops, or maybe there's going to be some. I mean, at first I was kind of like maybe there's some moral ambiguity about like the John Houston character. Like mm-hmm. maybe because I was kind of on the little girl's side at first, you know, I was kind of like, oh, and maybe she's maybe she's not as evil as they kind of make her sound, and maybe there's like some you know other thing going on. No, 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 no. So this is completely really like straightforwardly. A thing, but I, I kind of thought maybe she was going to have to go against the the cult members, sort of thing. Yeah, and especially since she has telekinetic powers, you'd think like she'd use them a little bit for. more. Yeah. You know, you're kind of hoping like, yeah, space monks against you know Firestarter girl. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. I Done. Mean, you know, like, like think of an ending where she's maybe trapped in their building or whatever, and she's running around through the hallways, and these space Buddhists are jumping out at her, and she's using her powers to, like push them down the hallway into a wall yeah, or some yeah. shit. Can we get the Wachowski siblings on this? Like, I, I would watch this film. Like, it'd be better than the fucking Matrix sequels. <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah. It'd be way better than Matrix. Um, I think maybe the only really bit of depth you can probably pull from this, uh, and I don't think it was necessarily intentional, but there seems to be, like, a natural, spiritual, pureness of nature kind of thing that the aliens represent against fakeness and, uh, you know just man-made bullshit. Uh, like, the the bad guys are the corporate industrialists who, you know, only believe in money and greed and power. The good guys are presented as basically space Buddhists who are all enlightened and are at one with the natural whatever of the universe vibe kind of bullshit. There's also a contrast between um, the Sam Peckinpah character and uh, Lance Henriksen's character, mm-hmm. right? Where, you know, uh, Sam Peckinpah is... <laughs> He's doing the white savior thing, but okay, he's... uh, You know what, I'm going to say, if you are a doctor servicing poor black communities in Atlanta in 1979, you're allowed to be a bit of a white savior. I'm not a black man, but I will, like, just personally, I'm not going to complain about that. You're allowed to do that. If you're actively putting your your time and your money where your mouth is, like, that's what he's doing. You know, it's, it's definitely, like, kind of implied if that outright stated that she left this guy to go and like kind of be a social climber with the dude who owns a, a basketball team apparently yeah. and that's his job is i i manage a ba- i own a basketball team okay good for you uh, yeah, you, you, you 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 just recently bought a basketball team and by the way you're evil yeah um you know and he's toting up to the to the board members and the see the mm-hmm. capitalists you know sort of thing uh there is that element. There is that kind of like, you know, where, you know, if uh, if Barbara had not done that, if she had not kind of been seduced by that, that kind of social climbing aspect, then maybe Katie would have gotten a kind of better um, sense of morality, mm-hmm. you know, from her parents sort of thing. You can read that into the film. I think it is something that's, that's – uh, it seems pretty clearly intended by the filmmakers. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of like – such a tiny part of the film and it's hard to really give them too much credit for it. And I think it also, uh, where, where they're using birds as a sort of a motif throughout the entire film, you notice it, they, they kind of pit like real birds against fake ones. Like there's two uh, instances of uh, fake birds here. There's the one that that's bought as a present for Katie. It disappears and gets replaced by the gun, which ends yeah. up, you know, uh, poor, <laughs> her, her my, poor mother who just goes through the fucking ringer throughout this whole entire film. In my in my notes, I did say, you know, Glenn Ford has no understanding of chain of evidence either because there's yeah. no there's no evidence bag, there's no gloves, there's no. It's just oh yeah, you pick it up, you just put it in your in the side of your car, you put it. He, in your he doesn't even. And... He doesn't even. He, he doesn't even fucking get a warrant. He just. <laughs> He, he breaks into the fucking house and steals the toy bird. It's really a commentary on uh, 70s uh, police work in Atlanta. You know, it's yeah. real, you know we're, we're just going to frame a black guy for this, so, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but then also you get... So um, two guys in the car! They were going to be framed for it, and the fact that mm-hmm. they, uh, the Glenn Ford character died, that's why they're still around, and then they end up uh, saving um, uh, the girl from Switchblade Sisters. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the the meaning of the film, ultimately. You know, <laughs> it's all that's about it. it's all about police misconduct, man. That's it. Yeah, but uh, I mean, also Shelley Winters' character has that cage with the fake mechanical birds in it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. know, I don't know what necessarily the uh, the meaning is there, but I'm pretty sure there was at least some sort of intended meaning there. 
And then it's it's also kind of neat where if you notice like at the end where the birds come down and and save Barbara Collins who is about to be like strangled to death by Lance Hendrickson and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Katie. That's um, a that's a pretty impressive sequence. I thought the garroting stuff, you know, I mean it's pretty cleverly executed. I was I was a uh, you know I'm not saying I'm a fan of like choking her, but I thought it was a a really effectively done little sequence in, in the middle of a film like that. The fact that it lingers on a bit too, it's like you, you the way the way it's presented and you look at that <laughs> garrote and the way he's got it set up, you, you think her head's gonna be cut off as soon as it goes down at the but she gets yeah. down to the bottom of the stairs, right? I, I, I actually thought the sequence was gonna go on longer. I mean I thought he was basically gonna like I mean, it wouldn't be difficult to imagine a sequence where basically he's like got her there, he's got her completely helpless and you know, like says like, Okay, I'm going to impregnate you now, like this is what's going to happen. Well, he's he's presented as being basically impotent, I think, because he 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 doesn't get the job done. I mean, she becomes impregnated because of the abduction on the highway, right? Right. The surgery, the the, yeah. the forced. I mean, the the medical rape. And know. I think that I think there's also kind of an implied contrast with the aliens there as well. Like you get the alien light show at the top of the roof with the real aliens, and that's all two thousand and uh, or not two thousand one. Um, in close encounters, encounters the third gun. You get that as well with the, with the truck, but it's it's false. It's not aliens. It's just humans in biohazard suits impregnating her with whatever they have uh, available. You know, I keep looking at that truck and going like, man, they're shooting this like a flying saucer. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's very overt. You know, that's you know. But uh, yeah, um, hmm. <laughs> the shortest what... episode yet. I'm kind of like, man, you know, <laughs> I'm 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 kind of done. I should go through my um, should go through my notes real quick. It's it's hard to say anything other than watch this fucking movie because it's actually really goddamn entertaining and and and, it, and I think the se- a lot of the sequences end up working so well is because there's actually some money behind this. Like there, it was an eight hundred thousand dollar budget, which oh. is pretty good for an Italian film at this point. I do, uh, I do have a couple of thoughts actually. What did you think of the uh, little girl's performance? I thought she was really good. I thought she was terrible and awesome uh, at the same time. Like well, the accent is atrocious. Mm-hmm. I, I She's kinda, really entertaining. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, it works because it's a really bizarre Italian film where the performances don't necessarily matter at all. Like <laughs> the the more out, outlandish, probably the better overall. I mean, Franco Nero is also like really weird in this and the way he pronounces stuff is weird in this like he's speaking english and he at one point he um he's explaining the story of sateen and he's like sateen was a mutant or you know like like what the fuck dude mutant just say mutant to say it but yeah actually i thought Paige connor was pretty good i mean she's just a, obviously not a, a great child actress or anything like that but I think she was pretty game, and she also had to contend with Shelley Winters, who apparently slapped her around like method on <laughs> right. on, on on set. So you know, uh, good for her. I, I thought she was all right. What did you think of? Uh, sorry, I'm I'm just gonna ask you some some questions because I actually did some thoughts about the the kind of social realism aspect mm-hmm. in terms of um, like the way it's shot. And I know it's kind of low budget Italian, so it's just gonna look like this, but it, it kind of looks like an after school special, you know. Some of it does, um, yeah. And so, like, you're kind of combining this, like, you know, big picture, you know, space odyssey, Omni magazine, you know, aliens coming down sort of thing. And you're combining it to, with this, like, acting and, and shooting style and everything that's just very much out of, like, you know, <laughs> don't do drugs, kids, you know, yeah. like, sort of sort of thing. Um, I, how did that strike you? It didn't bother me too much. I, I, I liked it all right. I mean, I, I was kind of expecting it to sort of look like this because I, I was saying, okay, they have their they have their obvious money shots. Like they, they, they have they have the, the big opening at the at the basketball game and that's, you know, fairly cinematic and looks pretty good. And then it's like, okay, I know a lot of this stuff's gonna be indoors or it's gonna be at a really kind of lame outdoors location that doesn't look all that impressive. Like even the like the stuff on the highway where where the detective is, is driving, even that doesn't look particularly great. I mean, for for a like tiny budget little Italian movie, yeah. I was actually fairly impressed with the uh, like the, the the sequences on the on the highway. Um, I thought all the action sequences looked you know low budget but decent. Um, yeah, I mean, if you the uh, the ice skating sequence, um, which is way more intense than this film deserves in some ways. Like I yeah. I was kind of like, man, they really like this is half the budget is spent right here in this like the ice yeah. skating stuff. Although it was weird, what. 
I, I didn't get why all these, uh, it, it was almost like implied that these guys were like interested in her almost like, you know, and they were I, clearly all was, like 10 years was, older. She was being a shithead towards them, right? Like she was, okay. like, she, yeah. she like provoked them because she's a shithead. Yeah. And then they kind of come after her. And then, like, that justifies, like, what she does to them at the end because they're kind of, you know, coming after him. I fully expected somebody's finger to get cut off by uh, an ice skate. Like, I was clearly, I was like, this is not going to end well. This is going to end with, like, some horrifying bloody violence. Um, Is it that kind of film? But, I mean, you know, it was very much kind of, that's where my headspace was in terms of, like, them. The, the the skating sequence I thought was was you know I mean not like a, a, a brilliant sequence but I thought it was pretty intense and it had it had good energy to it I think my favorite was uh, and, and it's and it's kind of frustrating at the same time because this is another one of those sequences where something big seems to be happening and then it just co- completely gets dropped and kind of forgotten about by the time they move to the next thing is where she follows uh, John Houston into the House of Mirrors or whatever. Yeah, the the and, lady from Shanghai sequence, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, and that, I thought that was done really well. It looked pretty good. Yeah. And then... I mean, they, you're right. They do have their handful of set pieces that are really well executed. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of connected with stuff that, yeah, it's fine. It's shoe leather. You know, it gets yep. you from one place to another. Okay, I have a question. Can a, can a paraplegic technically drive? With uh, the appropriate, like, uh, hand, uh, like, uh, oh, okay. and stuff, you it's, know. Okay, I, I didn't realize if she maybe had that or not, because I was just... I was just watching this and I was like you know, I, I don't I don't think they like made that I don't think they did it in this film but yes like pe- people uh, you, you can drive and it was true even in the late 70s like you could get like the things because I was watching I remember like, Saved how uh, you know uh, oh, okay. Hawkins character you know he has like right. the, you know the Jewish girl like uh, you know but the Jewish girl. That, that's as far as I go on remembering the names of anybody in that film. Because there's Macaulay Culkin and, and then the Jewish girl. Yeah. And then what bitchy Christian Mandy Moore. Is yeah. That, yeah. Who's uh, actually pretty good. And Jenna Malone, who was in uh, Inherent Vice, which is a couple of weeks Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, she's the lead in that. Mm. But I, I, I kind of doubt they were thinking about cars for paraplegics that were drivable. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of think it was something they forgot about because I was just watching it was like, you know, you're just going with it. Yeah, she's driving her home. Wait, how the fuck is she driving her home? There's also the thing where, I mean, and they don't really explore this in the film, but, I mean, there there is this kind of thing where not everyone who has had that kind of spinal injury is, like, completely disabled from below mm-hmm. the waist. Yeah, yeah. She could be in a wheelchair and be, like, deliberate, I mean, you know, overtly disabled and still have, like, enough feeling and motion in her feet to be able to drive, you know, yeah. so... It just, it just feels like I, mean, I definitely noticed it. It didn't kill the movie for me, you know, yeah. because like if that's your like sticking point with this film, well, yeah, I know. don't. I don't have. I, I I personally don't have any sticking points. Like even the flaws in it, I don't mind because it just yeah. works so well as it flows along. Like there's there's a charm to it. Like I said before, budget eight hundred thousand dollars, pretty decent budget for a film like this from from an Italy Italian production. I guess they must have had some American money in this too, right? And, well, and they got John Houston. Yeah, they got John <laughs> Houston Ford. And and Sam Peckinpah, although not quite Sam Peckinpah, because his voice is dubbed by someone who is definitely not Sam Peckinpah. Oh, really? I did not yeah. notice that. Yeah, yeah. It, it does look pretty good, but if you look closely, you do see like sort of the the rough edges. Like at one point, you see a, the skateboard under uh, under Joanne Nail's uh, character when she's being pulled by the hair across the floor there by Katie. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you see little things like that, and of what? course the fake birds. Like the oh, ones that are obviously just dangling on strings with <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of that. Um one other thing I thought was, was pretty intense was her um being uh, dragged up the steps by Katie. I, there's a, there were quite a few sequences where I'm like, that's fairly intense for a for a film like this. I really wish it had done more like once it disables Barbara. Like the only reason to do it is just like it makes her helpless and and I was really expecting them to do something interesting in terms of like really drive like this really big kind of thriller tension moment, and they never quite get there with the psychology. Well, what if they had done this? Like, uh, what's the movie? Uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Is that the one where she's where she's taking care of her sister and she's a has been actress? Oh, right, and, right, and, right, and right. The other ones, and she's paralyzed. What if they had done that with this film, where the mother's paralyzed and the and most of the film takes place in the actual house, and it's mm-hmm. just like a a mind game between the little girl and her, and like 
or like uh, Lance Henriksen. Like it could totally be like, and then he starts like gaslighting her. I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny. Like there's enough interesting stuff in this that it's very easy to start rewriting it. You know, yeah. it doesn't even mean I don't like the film, but it is kind of like you know, man, it's kind of a missed opportunity to some degree. You know, where yeah, you had I, this, I, you know. I feel kind of I feel kind of dirty saying it, but I almost want a remake of this where they like explore some of this stuff more, but. At the same time, I don't because this I love this film. It's fucking yeah. fantastic. Well, you, you remake it today, and and it's just gonna it's either gonna be like generic shitty horror film, mm-hmm. or it'll be um, kind of um, <laughs> what's that Nicole Kidman and what the invasion the invasion oh, of Bonnie Snatchers remake? You remember? Yeah, I saw a bit of that on TV the other day. Like a friend of mine was like likes the film, you know. And oh, I, like, put it on, and I was like, why are, like, man, this, I've never seen it before, but I'm like, man, this is really shitty. But you can't say that to your friend. You're just like, okay, yeah. Yeah, no. let's, let, let's make the alien invaders a disease. Oh, fuck Yeah. Up. I didn't watch far enough to even get that far. I'm just kind of uh, like, so... Um, but I was kind of watching it. I, I I knew watching this film, I'm like, I recognize the actress from somewhere, and I had to look it up. Oh, fuck, Switchblade Sisters, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's great, too. Yeah, I think one thing I do want to really mention while we're sort of, I think we're kind of wrapping up here, but the the soundtrack by uh, Franco Michelizzi, I just love how the main theme starts coming on every time John Huston shows up. Like, it, it's almost like a counterpoint to just how bored and sleepy he looks. It's like, <laughs> it's John Huston! Bah, 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 bah. I, I just love that it's like the, the hero music like shows up mm-hmm. and it's like John Huston kind of walking in. I don't even think he looks bored. I just think he looks tired. You know, it's just like, like man, I been... keep expecting the yawn. Like, <laughs> I've been I've been fighting the forces of darkness for ten thousand years. Oh, you know, yeah. like like. I, but I, I I thought I thought I actually liked his performance. Like I, I I was not like kind of quite on that. Like yeah, he's kind of sleepwalking through this. I mean, he is. Mm-hmm. He's kind of doing it for the money, but he he sort of gets like there's. There's a weariness I think I get for it, and I kind of liked mm-hmm. his weariness to it. You know, this isn't quite a um, Robert Mitchum in. Uh, oh no, no, uh, the Big Sleep. You know, yeah, yeah, the Big it's Sleep. Not, it's not. It's not. It's not. It doesn't feel quite that. Uh, just completely. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, no, it's not. Movie. It's not Mitchum. I don't give a shit. It's just he's he's a little bit bored, but he doesn't. But he gives. He still gives a fuck. So you know, yeah, I, I liked him in the film. You know, so. mm-hmm. when this first came out. In the USA, as the visitor, there was 18 minutes cut from it. I know the Sam Peckinpah stuff was uh, chopped down so much that if you didn't read the credits, you wouldn't know Sam Peckinpah was in this at all. Because I think wow. mostly what you saw was like the shot from his back when he was talking to her in the office or whatever, and that was about it. <laughs> Did they cut the abortion out of it? I think they do. Um, I'm, I, I don't I mean, have a. In 1979 in America, I would totally believe that they they basically yeah. You know, there, there's a white guy like, uh, you know, let's cut out all the black people and the abortion and the Italian Jesus. Yeah, no, yeah. I totally, yeah. Let's cut, let's cut those elements of the film. Yes, I, I believe it completely. But apparently it was it was a big enough cut where it made it more like one of those Italian films I was talking about where they, you know, they just have so much cut out of it and so pieced together that this doesn't make any sense at all and doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. You can get this from Draftos Films right now. If you go to draftosfilms.com, you can get a Blu-ray DVD plus a digital download, or you can get the same thing with a uh, poster. I guess there's a couple different packages you can buy for this, and fairly cheap price, and you can actually just rent it online and stream it as well from there, too. So, um, nice. And it's the, it's the restored, uncut version and all that, so... Um, very very cool. We, we might have damned this with faint praise, but it it really is worth like it's worth sitting through. I mean, if you can yeah. get it for a few dollars and you know have a have a Saturday afternoon to 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 watch this, this is worth a this is worth a watch. And don't be um, also if you if you see its rating on Rotten Tomatoes, don't be cynical and turned off by the fact that it's got a hundred percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes right now. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm gonna go give it a shitty review just so it doesn't have 100 percent in people. Will, yeah, you know. but but I think I think uh, Daniel, uh, I think we're both in agreement here that this is definitely worth uh, checking out. It's a lot of fun, and now that it's uncut, you get to see it in all of its glory. Uh, right. So 
I mean, there's nothing really any deeper than. I mean, it, it is just kind of all the visuals. It is kind of it is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I'll ever like revisit this. I don't know that this is something that I'm ever going to be like. Yeah, no, I want to sit down and watch Stridulum again. But it was fun to watch, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't have any problem kind of just getting through the entire thing, you know, in one go basically. So, and I was taking notes because like, I was, yeah. I was, you know, I looked at the. The way I do these plot summaries now is I look at the Wikipedia page and figure out how detailed it is. And if it's not that detailed and this one wasn't, I know I have to like at least kind of know the basic sequence of how things happen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have my notebooks. So I literally took notes on uh, post-it notes. So I have like 12 <laughs> post-it notes with just like, they're all numbered. So I know what order things happen. In. Nice. And then when I was uh, putting together the, uh, the, the thing, I basically just threw it all away and went, I kind of know what happens in this film. <laughs> I literally just glanced at it and went like, Oh, the pedophilia jokes. Yeah. We'll just throw that in. Um, so. All right, uh, so tell everyone about the multitude of podcasts you have now going on, Daniel. I have so many fucking podcasts. Um, you can listen to me on this podcast, They Must Be Destroyed On Site. If you're a masochist, you can do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can find all of my stuff at oispaceman.com. That's oispaceman.com, all one word. Uh, we started out as a Doctor Who podcast, and now we're doing uh, both Firefly and uh, Red Dwarf. Um, both kind of science fiction TV shows, and we're uh, branching out. We're doing all kinds of stuff, so uh, kind of keep checking back. Uh, we also have our own Facebook group. If you aren't getting enough great stuff in the wonderful They Must Be Destroyed on Site Facebook group, you can come join the OA Spaceman Facebook group. Yep. We've got a lot of uh, lefty political types talking about science fiction over there, and it's, uh, it's a great time, so yeah. check it out. Uh, so of course the trailer at the end will uh, tell you where to go to find all our stuff and get in contact with us and always want feedback. We always want to hear from you guys. Even if you have nothing particularly intelligent to say, just give us feedback and we'll read it. We're pretty good that way. So um, we never have anything intelligent to say. So yeah, so so join the fucking club already. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so next week is going to be an intermission episode, although it's going to be a weird one because it's actually going to have both of us on it. We're going to be recording that right after this, you know, look behind them. Behind-the-scenes magic there for you guys. You know, that's, that's how we do things around here. I, I, I'm going to be out of town next weekend, most likely, and so I said, hey, let's just record like a little quickie something, which might end up being longer than this podcast, yeah. ironically, so we'll, we'll find out. But, uh, yeah, we're going to record that right after this, and so you'll yeah. get to hear that next week. And then after that, we're probably going to be going for um, a Slither, and then we uh, decided to expand the sci-fi thing for one more episode, and we're going to be doing... Something we were talking about doing for a while, uh, a couple sequels of famous movies. We're going to do Robocop 2 and Predator 2 and take a little look at those. So that will round out our little sci-fi break before we jump into the uh, sex comedies. So that should be yeah. fun. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to uh, to all that. Yeah, okay. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for joining me again, Daniel. And we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to us at iTunes and YouTube, as well as our Facebook group link, which is the best way to get in touch with us. We welcome all comments, questions, movie review suggestions, and criticisms, and we do our best to respond to everyone. You can also find us at Daniel's recently launched oispaceman.com, where you can find his sci-fi theme podcasts about Doctor Who and Red Dwarf. Thank you. Drive through.